Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the cold winter of 1989, a Sabat pack who has suffered an immeasurable loss is given an ultimatum. Go to the Twin Cities of Minnesota, investigate why a deeply embedded pack has stopped reporting back, or meet their final death. This is Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Cities by Night, Sorrow, a tale of loss and regret that follows the Sabat pack known as the Nothing. Join us with Becca playing Linda, a Milkavian anti-tribute, Craig playing Jake, a pander, Jordan playing Abigail, a Ravenous anti-tribute, Monica playing Jenny, a Shimizi, and Slavic playing Charlie, a Bruja anti-tribute, and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter, at twin underscore cities underscore btm or on facebook and discord as twin cities by night we hope you enjoy you all are being pulled out of this pit and slowly you find yourself like it's like people are grabbing your hands they're pulling you you feel your stomach like going across the edge like the jagged concrete like it almost is like this concrete must have been broken down somehow and the foundation broken and this hole was dug out you don't even know how this was done but you feel yourself getting pulled out you feel like your shirts are catching or your dresses are catching you have blood all over you you have gunk dirt and you eventually are onto this flat concrete again and you feel yourself helped up by multiple figures and this time it's different because in a weird way you sense when you're with these others because you're completely sated now, right? You've you've drank of blood and everything. You feel this moment that you're surrounded by familiarity, by kindred spirits, by something similar. Like everything is sharper now. You can hear the sirens in the distance. You can hear honking. You can hear the wind going through this building. You can smell that fire. That fire scares you a little bit, though. The heat of that fire. A couple of you may even turn a little bit and look at it and kind of back away from it instinctually. It, it scares you more than fire has ever scared you more before. But you feel that you're gently being brushed along away from that fire, closer to where you were just were on your knees by these people. And you're almost in shock in a weird way. And you are brought forth to these two figures that are standing in front of you of this teenage girl, the 17-year-old, 18-year-old girl, and someone who looks almost like a masculine male version of her standing next to her. She's still in that black lacy dress with the boots on and the belt, the big belt buckle with the loose belt around looking at you for, and he's standing there shirtless with these tight jeans and his black rosary, no chest hair at all on him, and his long black straight hair that goes behind his back and behind his ears. And you see the girl walks to almost greet you for as he's standing there watching you all. He doesn't have any look of emotion on his face. He's just watching. And you see she has this warm emotion to her. So you are standing there in this shock. And this lady girl walks forward and she's looking at you for. And she walks to you first, Jenny. And she grabs your hand and she gently kind of like pulls you forward a little bit. And she's like, sit, what do you do? Well, Jenny is looking around a little bit confused because her senses are a little overwhelming right now. She's afraid of the fire. She can suddenly hear better than she's ever heard in her life. And she's taking this person's hand and 
just sitting because she's not sure if she's alive. She's not sure if she's dead. And this is all, you know, just the afterlife. But in the event that she's still alive, she wants to comply as much as humanly possible. So she's going to sit. Then she goes up to you, Jake, and she gives her hand out to you. And she's like, come with me and sit. You are my brother. What do you do? Jake is freaking out because like he feels like his he feels like he's full of adrenaline, but he doesn't feel his heart beating. And all he wants to do is get out of there. And uh, like he's looking like he sees the fire and it's it's so weird. Like he never felt so repelled by anything before. And like I think he's just like standing there looking at this woman's face. Like I think he recognizes her. And she's a lot shorter than you too. Yeah. Like so he's like kind of like standing that looking down at her and like definitely recognizes her. Like I serve this woman a drink. I she danced with me. What's going on? And I don't think he can handle it. So I, I think he bolts. When you think you for a second that you're going to bolt, you turn to run and you feel her hand shoot out and grab your shirt. And you feel this weird strength to her. You know what I mean? Like you try to turn and pull it and you see she like just kind of slowly pulls you in and you can feel your shirt kind of tear. Like you hear the seams tear a little bit, but you feel your feet like sliding, like, you know, across the ground. But she's looking at you and she's like, sit. And there's a moment where you're staring at her eyes. You're like, no, you're like thinking in your head, like, no, I'm not going to sit. And she's looking at yours and she says, sit. And you feel like her voice traverses. And you feel almost that instinct of when your mother 15 years ago found you smoking a cigarette in the back, one of your dad's cigarettes in the back porch. And she told you to sit down because you thought you were like a man at this time. And you're going to like not have to listen to her. But she's like, sit down. And you felt yourself sit because you felt her will, her control over you is more. And you find yourself sitting and you see she's just looking down at you at this moment. What does that make you feel like that fact that she was able to kind of like tap in and bring out that memories and you find yourself listening to her, man, like he, he actually like feels like he, she did that mother, like Jake Allen, Behringer, go to your room sort of thing. And it's like, there's, you don't dare talk back to something like that. You don't dare defy, defy it. And she just looks down at you and she kind of like, there's a second where you're like looking at her and she like takes her fingers and she just brushes aside some of your hair that kind of like got on your forehead, like put it behind your ears a little bit. And then she just gently, slowly, like her hands goes on the side of your face and just kind of traces away. But when she does that, you can, can't quite feel her touch. Cause you have all this blood and this gore that's on your face. that's starting to dry. You can feel it like cracking when your mouth moves, almost like it's so embedded and caked on from the feeding that you've done and from everything that happened to you before. Linda, you're standing there. Your mind is warping. Your mind is changing. What is going on in your mind right now as you're standing there and you see this girl come and walk up to you and she's like looking up at you. She doesn't say a single thing right now. She's, you, she's like looking at you and she, you can tell she's trying to get a read on you almost, but she has this compassionate look on her face. At this point, I'm just taking in the scene. It's that quick soak it up, but then my brain seems to be focusing on the woman in the white dress and I'm looking for her like as everything as my brain starts to change and how I'm thinking starts to change she seems to be that one constant that I'm trying to latch on to and I'm looking for her to see if I can find her again 
and you're looking around and you're desperately like your eyes are beating all around and you're doing this hyper vigilant like your eyes are scanning everywhere you're looking behind you're looking at that fire that fire that kind of instinctually like freaks you out a little bit you're even looking there and you're looking around it and you can't see her anywhere and actually when you look behind you you see a lot of the figures that were there are slowly leaving you could see behind the fire that there was a hole or like the part of that wall on that other side was torn down. You just see figures are kind of like walking out of it. And you don't see her anywhere. And then there's a moment where you kind of realize that and you feel this little like anxiety a little bit climb up on the side of you. Like you feel your face is getting a little warm at that thought. And you feel this hand on the other side of your face, like gently turning you. And that you realize it's the girl that's standing in front of you. And you're a little bit taller than her, you know? So you got to look down at her a little bit. And she's like, come sister, sit. I'll, I'll try to help you the best I can. Please just sit down. I'll nod and she'll have to drag me, like guide me to where she wants me to be, but there's no resistance. And she slowly like pulls your hand and you can feel like her hand go on the small of your back a little bit as she kind of like tries to guide you and even like sits you down. Abigail, finally you are standing there witnessing all this. What is going on in your head, by the way? You kind of have been like the first and last of a lot of things. You know, you see like, you are the first to realize everything and you're the first to guess witness everything in this weird way. And it hasn't been intentional in an odd way. It just kind of has played out in, on my side as a storyteller, but I think it's kind of fitting to like how everything has gone. What are you thinking, like witnessing this right now and knowing that this woman is probably going to go up to you next? Abigail has realized that she is part of a long lineage. Not well, not a long lineage, but a strong lineage and that that bears responsibility and Witnessing each and everyone going through this process is probably part of how her lineage is. They're not followers per se, but they are the ones that might go last, but they will not finish last. I like how she's kind of taking out all this that she's witnessed. It went from like being scared shitless to like feeling this weird determination. And she quite doesn't even know quite yet. She just knows that this, what she's witnessed and what she's seen and this weird alienness that is going on. And you feel this lady, she comes up to you, she's like, please sit, sister, sit with me. And as you all sit, you see the figure of the priest comes up. And you see the younger man, team is standing still, and he's looking down at you for, and you see the girl is sitting Indian style in front of you for, like you guys are sitting in a horseshoe again, but this time on your own free will. And she's sitting kind of like in the center so you all can see her. And you see this priest this older priest walks up and it's kind of different now because there's not a lot of noise. It's this weird, somber, like quietness. And you see, he walks up with this bucket and it's of water. And you see, he hands this, like, it looks like a leather that's wrapped around something. And he's like, you must tend your flock sister. And he's looking down at this girl, you know, you must tend your flock, show them that they are your family, bring them over for this has been a gift that has been given to you. You now have your own family. Vidar has seen the work that you have done and has granted you permission to make your own pack. You must show them reverence. She, look, she looks at this and she nods and she takes this leather skin that's wrapped around something. You see her open it up and you see there's like combs and there's like a razor and there's like a sponge that's in there, you know, and you see this bucket of water also has like a sponge and it has like hot water. You can see like the, the steam coming from it and there's like soap in there. And she starts to clean you all the best that she can, like your faces and your hands and your feet. I mean, you have this clothes on you, obviously, that's not you know able to be exactly clean, but she's doing almost like Jesus did for his disciples where she cleaned their feet. But instead, she's washing your face off and cleaning off your face, and she's cleaning off your exposed skin. She's combing your hair, 
you know, she's even shaving, you know, you, Jake, who you may have a little stubble, even though it's going to be like that forever. But, you know, like she's doing showing this reverence. And at this moment, when it's all done, you feel at peace and you still see this figure standing there and watch this, this figure of this younger boy. And as she's cleaning you, she's telling you, she's like, my name is Paya. I am your priestess. We are a family. We are about to be a family. He is our leader. He's our ductus. He is my brother. And he was my brother before we were brought over. And his name is Felix. You can just call us by our names for we are a family and we are equals to you. And as she is doing this, eventually it's done. And you see the priest or the older priest comes back and he brings this bowl as a wooden bowl. Give me a perception alertness, everyone. Difficulty six, please. Let's get a little dice rolling in here. See you. I got two successes. Three successes for Jenny. Two for me. Four for Linda. So Linda got four. That's the most, right? Okay. So Linda, you are sitting here while she's cleaning you, you know, and, or after she cleaned you, you know, and you're staring, you're, you can feel your hair is wet still. It hasn't dried. It's like wet and combed back. You can feel like your hair, the big hair that you had. Let me ask you, let me rephrase that. I don't want to assume when your hair is not all big hair done up, is it naturally straight or does it have curl to it or such an odd question? I know, but. No, no, it's it's important because yeah. there are like perms are a big thing. No, she doesn't naturally have curly hair, although she does to get it that big, she does what she needs to to exaggerate it. So uh when it's wet, it'll definitely like lay flat, but you'll see like almost like seaweed like oh, okay. curves to it. All right. So your hair is like kind of wet on the side of your face, and you guys can see, you know, all see it, but you're looking at this bowl as it sat down and you kind of like find yourself you're searching for this lady still and you look at this bowl it's like a new something new brought into this environment so you like almost hone in on that with this intensity that you have at this moment and you see that along the edge of the bowl you see it's about the, the bowl is about 10 inches in diameter it's a rather large bowl and you see like the sides of it are about like six inches that go top so you can see like six inches of like artwork it looks like that this is very intricate it has like a lot of carvings and almost like some painting to it and you see like it shows it looks like a beach and you see that like there are looks like people running in fear and you see that there looks like to be a figure with his hands extended almost that looks like he's wearing a suit and you see that there's this other figure that looks like it has horns that's like jumping on something and you see that looks like there's this lady in a dress who's like attacking you see that there's like blood looks like simulation of blood is spraying around her and you see like there's this man shooting a gun you know and you see that there's this guy this lone figure who has looks like he's standing by himself and he looks like he has like a kind of like a somber figure like he can't partake in any of this that happened and eventually as you're focused in and zoned in on that you hear this voice that kind of snaps you out of it but it's gentle and it's and it's paya again and she's like we are going to share with each other something sacred right now And trust me when I say that when we are done with this, you will feel better. You will feel closer. And we will be a family. Be patient. Be patient with yourselves right now. You have been bestowed a gift. A gift that makes you something that is different and better than everything that you have seen before. You are more than a person now. You are something that is truly special. And then there's a moment where she takes the bowl and she goes and kneels in front of you, Jenny. And she takes her arm and you see she goes to that leather satchel almost that had these combs and these scissors and all this stuff that she used to clean you up. And you see that she takes a straight razor and she pulls it out 
And she takes your arm and she just like cuts it. And she cuts your arm. And there's a second when you're staring at the arm, Jenny, and you realize it's not bleeding. And she looks at you and she's like, sister, make it bleed. What do you, what's going on in your head right now when she says that? Jenny is a little freaked out. I mean, given the amount of fear and anxiety and adrenaline running through her, you'd think she'd be squirting blood the second she was cut. But the fact that she's not bleeding is somehow freaking her out even more. So she's looking at the figure, looking at her arm, not knowing how she's supposed to make it bleed. You control your body, sister. This is yours. Your body has been given to you as a gift. Force it to bleed. Will yourself to change. And you will see what will happen. Make yourself bleed. And she just looks at you patiently. So um, having heard that, Jenny looks down at her arm, still freaking out, but she's compelled to, you know, agree with this woman. She looks down at her arm and she focuses on it, trying to get it to bleed even a little bit into that bowl. And you see it does. You focus and it bleeds a little bit. You see it like gently starts coming down a driplet and you feel this exhilaration almost, I would say, because you realize you're controlling that. I mean, how long has Jenny wanted to control her body? At what means and measures has Jenny been willing to try to control her body by outside influence? And at this moment, you see when this lady, Paya, is showing you that you can control your body now. Make yourself bleed. Now, let me ask this. Do you continue to have it be a small amount? Or would you, how would Jenny react with this revelation that she's had right now? Especially with your history of body issues that she has. Jenny's big into addiction. The fact, like you said, that she's been trying to control her appearance ever since, you know, she had her kids. And now she's sort of, staring at the blood coming out, sort of in disbelief that she did that. Maybe it was just a fluke. So she'll think about it some more and control it so that more blood is coming out. And as she kind of puts two and together, two and two together that she really is capable of doing this, she feels a sort of rush, sort of an exhilaration. And blood just starts gushing into this bowl. And then eventually you feel Paya's hand go over the cut and she's like, stop now and you feel yourself stopping the wound and she looks at it and she's like heal it now and you will yourself to heal it and you see this cut closing up at this moment she goes to you jake and she looks at you for a second and she's just staring at you you know and she has this razor in her hand and she has the bowl in front of you and you can see this blood that's in this bowl sloshing around and she's looking at you for a second she's like what do you think has to happen now jake kind of like extends his arm because he doesn't really see a choice anymore he tried getting away and she stopped him and just inflicted all her will upon him and he's kind of like resigned to his fate maybe like he's thinking maybe he'll bleed out and wake up from this nightmare or at least death will set him free from it she looks at you does he look like does his what does his face show right now like does it show a uh, despair like like a lack of will, giving up almost? Not quite defeat, almost like like a horse that's been tamed finally and it's no longer like trying to buck its rider. Broken, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she takes the razor and she turns it and hands it to you. You know what needs to be done. Jake takes a razor from her and like kind of looks at his arm and then really quickly just raises it to the side of his neck and just gives a big gash and says, let me out of here. Let me out. And you guys see this. You see this blood spurting. 
And as this blood is, you're let you're forcing it to bleed. I take it right, like immensely. You just see this blood yeah. spurn, and you just see she's looking at you, and you see like it's hitting the bowl, and it's hitting her lap, and it's hitting some of it, it's hitting her face, and she's just staring at you. And you notice that, like as this blood squirting, she's just looking at you through it. You see it hit, you see it hitting her face and running down her face, it's like it's splattering, like a mist. And she's just looking at you. She's like, "That is enough. Stop yourself from bleeding." But she's not forcing you. She's not like dominating you like she did earlier. You yeah. know, she's Jake's, just looking at you. like realizing like he's still feeling like he noticed the blood coming up, but he's like not dying like <laughs> he thought he was. So he's like putting his hand up there to try to stop it, and like. He's like, what What have I done? How do I? And then he's probably crying like tears of blood because he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. She goes and fiercely grabs the side of your cheeks, but almost like a mother again. You know what I mean? Who's helping someone. She looks at you. She's like, you can do this. You control your fate. Stop yourself from bleeding now. No domination this time, by the way, but she's just like looking at you like gently, like urging you on. I think Jake just like, squeezes his eyes shut and like he's like it's almost like he's trying to expel something from himself and i think the blood just goes from a torrent to just a slow trickle to just like beating and then just stops linda she goes up to you and she kneels down with this bowl have you paid attention to the two other people and what they've been going through at this moment with jake's exaggerated motions and over the top kind of you know like that that's kind of how she's perceiving it it's dramaticism she it kind of knocks her out of like she's you know she sat down she was scanning the room trying to figure out like where where is this person that's just been the main concern for her and then she sees that happens and just like it's that numb almost far off staring look so she's she's aware at least kind of what's happened with jake and is more like huh that's odd so you can see Paya's letting you process it. You know, she's like staring at you, waiting for you to get done. And she doesn't really even pay attention to the two people before her. She just has this bowl that's kind of sloshing right now. And she's looking at you. Are you with me? Gently you know, nods her head. Do you know this is important what we're going to do now? I do. This has to happen. This is what makes us special. These, and she nods to the two before, and then she nods to Abigail and us and you. We are going to be a family together. Do you know how important that is? Without these people, that cruel world outside of here is hard on us. And especially one like you who is going to be new to all this. So know what you're doing right now is not only going to help you, it's going to help these people. And she nods towards Jake and is like sitting there like sobbing, holding the side of his neck. Can you do this? I will do this. She nods approvingly and she hands you the razor and just holds the bowl in front of you. And she'll take the razor and just do a nice line across her wrist and and hold it out. Like, it, it takes a moment because right, it's all new and she's, it wasn't a focus. Like, she never even realized that her, her heart had stopped. And so she's taking that moment to recognize what's going on. And, and slowly, like, things are starting, to, she's starting to realize what's the consequences of everything that's happened, even though she doesn't know what's happened. Yeah. I mean, you guys are all like oddly piecing this in a weird, different way. You know I mean? Obviously, well, I don't want to say obviously, but eventually it's going to be explained to you. You know what I mean? But like right now is, I mean, just, but like two hours ago, you're dancing in a nightclub or three hours ago. Now you're fucking cutting yourself and putting blood in a bowl, being talked about family. 
like uh who was it uh jenny said is this the drugs <laughs> you know like that's happening all this is going on it's a very surreal especially with your condition that you're being hit with your your chemical balance of your brain right now or your soul due to your clan weakness is changing it's like completely changing you know you went from someone who was processing in a shock state but was able to very analytically not be turned over to emotion not to be turned over to panic and now you're fundamentally changing as a person who you are i mean who who i don't even know if like linda linda's gonna still be in there when this is all done you know is this is this gonna be someone different there's something we can explore there's something we can find out you, you know we may not know now so there comes a moment where she puts her hand on your wrist and she looks at you and she's not even say what needs to get done. She's just looking at you to wait to see if like you can pick it up. She's just looking at you with the hand over your wrist is like blood's coming, like, you know, still dripping in there, but she's trying to stop it. And she's just like looking, like seeing if you, how you react, I guess. Like she's just, she's holding on there. Like she, you knew you had to cut yourself. Now she's waiting to see if you know now that you got to, you know what I mean? To heal yourself in her own way, like kind of trying to like gauge how, who each of you are and how you're reacting to the situation. You know what I mean? So she puts her hand over your cut. She's looking to see what you do right now and seeing if you say anything. I won't say anything, but it's clear that things are just taking longer to process, like unnecessarily so. So she's there for probably a minute, just like not looking for any guidance, but hands there. And then it, it all of a sudden it clicks and she realizes what she needs to do. And when you do that, you see a smile, like an approving smile come across her face. And she just like kind of gently pats the side of your face. Then she turns and t- heads towards you, Abigail, and she puts the bowl down. And you see that her again. You've witnessed all this happening before you, and you've kind of seen how she's acted differently to each person. And then she looks at you, but the way like it's, she sets the bowl down, and when she looks at you, it's like like when you eat lunch with a coworker, you know, when you're at like a lunch break area and you're sitting there and you're eating your salad or you're eating your whatever, and someone comes and sits at the table with a tray next to you, and you're just like, oh hey, oh hey, we both work here, we're both eating lunch. And you see like she sits there and she just sits with this bowl and she has the razor in her hand, but she's looking at you. She's like, so you look full of purpose. Thanks, I guess. Yeah. And she's just I, staring at you for a second. Like just, you know, there's this odd silence. I you... feel full of purpose. Do you now? And I overthink it for a bit. And yeah. That's good. That's why we're here. All this is for a purpose. I'm going to teach you that purpose. I'm going to teach you all that purpose. I'm glad that you're receptive already. You can see everyone learns at their own pace. And she kind of like nods, but this is your family. And we may need your help to teach them the purpose. Remember that. Okay. Be patient. Yeah. She hands you I'll the help. razor. She hands you the razor. I do what Linda did, but slightly faster. <laughs> oh, jealous I, sister. I, <laughs> no, I, I make an incision on my wrist. And, Put blood in the bowl. After she gets the blood from you, Abigail, she turns around and you see she walks up to her brother, Felix. And you see the moment that you see them close together in proximity and you guys are looking up, you see that they have a close bond. And you see that she puts the bowl in front of them. And she says in Spanish, and you can understand this, Abigail, she says, I love you, my brother. I know we've been together for ages. She's like, but we finally got our family that we wanted. And he looks, at, he looks at her and they're about the same height. And he's like, I know sister, they are ours and I will take care of them and I will lead you all. And she just smiles and you see that she takes the razor and she grabs his arm and like sets the bowl between them and she grabs his hand. They're holding hands and she grabs the razor and cuts her wrist and his wrist at the same time. And they turn their wrist down at the bowl and you just see it drops like three or four feet down into the bowl. Eventually she takes the bowl 
And she turns around and goes back to you, Jenny. And she's like, drink. And she puts the bowl to your lips. Jenny is, although she's still very confused as to what's going on, she's a little bit high on the power that she just discovered. So she doesn't know who this lady is. She doesn't know what she's selling, but she wants it. And she's going to take a sip of that bowl. Awesome. Then she comes to you, Jake. Drink, and this will make it all better. Jake feels that he doesn't really have a choice and kind of like presses his lips together and like to sort of feign drinking. But as soon as it hits the lips, like his mouth opens up and it's like the best thing he's ever tasted. And then she comes to you, Linda. And she's just looking at you, waiting for you to react. Eventually, I'll take it and take a slow, long drink. And then she comes to you, Abigail, with this bowl. This finalizes everything. And she hands it to you. Abigail drinks and drinks another sip and drinks another sip and drinks another sip. And she doesn't really want to let go. You see, eventually the bowl is kind of tugged from you a little bit, you know, not in a, you know, like in a gentle way. And you see, she walks over to her brother and they both sip from it. And you see, eventually they all, they both go and sit and you guys form a circle. And you guys eventually realize that you are all holding hands together in this circle with the night sky above you. So let's go ahead and do some rolls. First thing is first. I'm going to have each player roll a Valdry die for Felix and then for Paya. Jake, let's have you roll 1d10 for Felix first and let me know what you got for a Valdry rating for him. Uh, we got a amazing 2 for Felix. Oh, wow. What about for Paya? An uncaring 2 for Paya as well. Oh, shit. He doesn't like them at all because they force him into his existence. I mean, not that you hate them. You know, you're so bloodbound, but like it's very low because they forced you into this existence. And you've turned to Linda, who or turned to Jenny and Linda, right? Who are both like were brought into the same situation as you. One reminds you of your wife. The other, you had a high for Linda too, right? So who's like a, psych, a psychiatrist or a psychologist counselor. Holy cow. Rebel, rebel. All right. Yeah, let's, he's not liking this at all. All right, Jenny, let's have you roll first for Felix and let us know what you got, please. Five for Felix. All right, then for Paya. Three for Paya. Damn, dude, you ain't really feeling them either. You guys are tight with each other. I mean, other, but you ain't. You, do you have, a, you have a high for Jake too? So you guys had this close bond and pretty much like fuck these, you know, not in, that you feel fuck these people, but you know what I mean? Like a tighter bond than you do with, the, wow. Okay, let's try uh, Linda. Linda, go ahead and roll for Felix, please. I got a nine for Felix. Oh, wow. Okay. And what about Paya? I got a 10 for Paya. Oh my God. That makes so much sense though, right? Because these, like the caringness that she showed for you, you know what I mean? And the patience and the motherly thing. And that can maybe even explain why you have such a low score for Jake. And don't you have a low score for Jenny too, or something like that? If I remember correctly. No, I have oh. a low score for, well, low-ish Definitely. So I have a two for Jenny and then a six for Abigail, but like okay. I adore Jake. Oh, do you? Okay. Okay. Never mind. But that's good though. Yeah. I'm glad that you have a close relationship with them and that could even make it to like the loss that you feel. You know, we'll talk about that. You know what I mean? As time goes on. All right, Abigail, go ahead and roll for Felix, please. I have a 10 for Felix. Oh my God. Teacher's pet. You guys are total teacher's pet. You can see like the little, like the little like uh, segment in here. Go ahead and roll for Pia, please. I like his sister a little less. I have a four for Paya. 
it's not too bad, but you definitely, maybe you feel for Felix more because you respect his pack leader, you know, him as the pack leader. Okay. So I need a volunteer. I need one person who'd be willing to roll for how Paya feels for all you and one person to roll for how Felix will feel for all you. Who, who wants to do Paya? Go ahead and, and okay. You can do Paya, Abigail. I'm going to have you roll first how Paya feels about Jake. Go ahead and roll that, please. That's an eight. Nice. All right. Have her, her now roll for Jenny, please. A 10. Oh, wow. Have her roll for Linda, please. That's a nine. Dude, Paya loves you all. She's like straight up like a mother figure to you all. And Abigail, let's have her roll for Abigail. She loves us truly. She has a nine for me as well. Oh, that's so crazy. Abigail is just this, or Paya is just this like mother figure to you all. She's like, I don't care if you hate me. I mean, dude, she really does treat you all like a family. She, well, we'll talk about that as time goes on, you know? Uh, now, finally, who would like to roll for Felix and see what Felix would, would roll for you all? You want to do it, Jake? Roll f- how Felix feels about Jake for me, please. Uh, he loves Jake at a nine. Oh, wow. Very nice. Okay. And how does Felix feel about Jenny? Felix loves Jenny at a four. Okay, and what does Felix feel for Linda? A three for Linda. Okay, and what about Abigail? And a three for that one too. Okay, so we see that your pack priestess cares about you all immensely, and she finds that that is her job to spiritually take care care of you all. That night, after you have this moment, and you all feel connected in the ways that you feel connected, you find yourself looking at each other. You feel this spiritual lightness in your chest. You feel you're looking at the person left and right. And you feel this emotional tie that just seems so like you odd at this moment. It seems like you calm your, your, your nerves calm for a second. And the night goes by in a blur. Many things happen this night. Throughout this night, as these two take you out into the city, first you find yourselves ravaging in a store. That is closed, breaking the glass, finding new clothes, laughing as you guys are doing it together or or processing things that you're doing together, getting to know these people that you're feeling tied to, putting on clean clothes, wiping your faces off, looking presentable. But throughout these different events that we'll talk about tonight, you start learning the story of Cain and how biblical Cain, who slew Abel, was cursed and he was the first of your kind, that you are a vampire, you are a Cainite. How this world that you are seeing now, these bright lights, these people you see walking down the street, these bombs that you find in the alley that you feed off of, that they are nothing but cattle for you. But how there are those that are like you who are traitors, who serve these slumbering children of Cain who dare rise up to the great Cain, who look away from their gifts and how you are part of this great body of freedom. They even tell you the city that you're in is controlled by Cainites that are like you. And you are free to do what you must. There comes this moment where you are walking down the street and you can kind of see Abigail is walking strong. She's walking like next to Felix. Felix is, you're walking down this, like this, this wide New York city sidewalk. And it's like two in the morning right now. You all are handling things in your different ways. It's not like you're just, oh, hey, buddy's hanging out and everything's, no, you all are distant, yet close, yet find yourself moving as one body, but yet each are kind of processing things in your own way. And Abigail, you see this homeless guy on the street and you stop and you all see her stop. So you all stop and you're just looking at her and she's intensely staring at him. Let's talk about that clan, vice of yours, Abigail. You see his figure, he's kind of sleeping, but then he opens his eyes and he's looking at you, Abigail. And you feel this urge. Penance must be paid. You must add to those faces. 
that were collected by not only by your sire, but your grandsire that you know nothing about, but you heard tales of him. You feel this urge, like you want to see his life extinguished from his eyes. You want to look in his eyes while he's dying and know what it's like to die, but not be like you and to be able to come back. How do you react right now, Abigail, seeing that man and feeling those urges? Abigail is still learning how to cope with everything. Colors are brighter, smells are stronger. And this urge is new and very strong. So I think she is not holding back, thinking about it for a bit, and then lunches for it. With your vice, I imagine it like it's murder, murder. It's not feeding murder. It's murder, murder. How do you take this man's life? It's, it's unsettling. It's very unsettling to see a woman, young, like barely woman, just rush up to a guy, jump him, and start smashing into him until he doesn't move anymore. Like smashing his head into the wall and everything like that? It reminds you of someone, doesn't it? I mean, out of character, reminds you of someone who had their first kill in war. As you find yourself in a similar situation in this alley, I mean, you don't know this out of character or in character, obviously, but you feel like his head give way as at first it gives resistance and you just feel like give less and less resistance as you see like his eyes rolling in his head and you feel this fleck of like brain matter and blood like flying in your face until you feel a hand on your shoulder and you look over your head, over your shoulder and you see it's Paya. And she's just looking at you and she's waiting for, you know, like looking at you to, you know, she's just looking at you. So she's just looking at you like, are you done? Not, but not, she's not saying anything, but she's not judging, but she's not forcing you, but she's letting you know she's there for you. Abigail will come to herself a little more and see her hands. The thumbs are in the eye sockets and they are further apart than they should be. And she's covered in blood. And she's try she's starting to freak out because she just she, she killed a guy. Like, what the Yeah, you killed him. Who has does anyone have a high Valdery role for Abigail? Three. Oh, two, Jake has three. Um, I have a six and Paya has a nine. Oh yeah, Paya has a nine. What about you, Jenny? What do you have? Toilet. Right I have now? a five. Five, for okay. Abigail. So it's Paya. You see Paya just gently like pulls you into you you into her and just kind of hugs you, you know? There's this firm hug as you're like freaking out and you maybe crying a little bit and eventually she just you walk away and you walk away as this pack together down the street as you're sitting there like like what the fuck have this shit on your hands you she maybe finds like a finds a hose or find you know in puddles of, of dirty street water that you're wiping your hands with trying to get it off and she's tr- probably trying to help you at this time too jake while you guys are all walking along with this pack what's going on in your head right now you just saw someone kill a guy for no reason it wasn't even like in self-defense it was just like playing out murder and he just he, he just needs to get away from this do you start walking away um yeah like we're kind of just walking ar- along the city streets like we're like the lost boys right yeah you, know? you actually realize you're a couple blocks like maybe half a mile from your house right now or your oh, apartment shit. that you have um i think jake's gonna try to break off you find you try to break off and you all think, see that Jake is like walking ahead, but you realize that you all are following him. You know what I mean? You're like, like, like Felix is like kind of putting in his hands to give him space, but you are following from a distance. You feel this tug, Jenny, to him at this time while you see him walking ahead. Like you want to be close to him, but you're not quite, you know, he's just like, let him go. Let him lead us. 
for we are a pack. We are family and he is part of our family. So we need to see where he guides us because tonight is a night of discovery for you all. And he just looks at you all to, you know, assume. And you see now he has his jacket. He has his new suit jacket he found, you know, like a black one that goes along with his black pants. And he has his hair and a ponytail. Paya is walking with Abigail, you know what I mean? With the arm wrapped around her shoulder and Abigail's head's all hanging like she's processing. You guys get to this, like a brownstone apartment kind of thing where, you know, it's a bunch of streets of brownstones where they're duplexes, you know, where they had the front steps and, and it's like a house that's split in two and one family lives on one side and one lives on the other side. And you see your number, Jake. You see you're standing in front of your steps right now and you see that the living room light is on which usually means that she's awake waiting for you. You know, sometimes she'll stay up, kind of like try to talk to you a little bit when you get home because you go to school often. And you look up and you see your bedroom room is dark. What are you doing right now? I'm still wearing my key uh, pants. So I fumble and try to grab the keys and open up the door real quick and then lock it behind me. You guys see Jake do that. And then there's a moment where you guys hear quiet and you just hear Felix is standing there. You guys are all standing there. You're Abigail probably not even noticing, you know, you're still processing. Then you hear this inhumane scream and you hear a woman screaming and you hear it abruptly cut short. Then five minutes close. Then you see the door burst open, not like kicked open, burst open. And you see a figure storming out onto the steps and you see it's Jake. Then you see his face looks intense. Every muscle, every, sinew of his neck is just rigid and defined and then you see his face stop and all that tenseness goes away and you see his eyes open for a second and you see his eyes slowly start becoming somber and you see red tears start coming out of him and you see him look at his hands and he falls to his knees what are you all doing right now when you see him like that you see Paya looks at Jenny and she's looking at you Jenny and she looks at him Jenny has that overwhelming maternal urge, especially since she has that, that inexplicable bond towards Jake. She sees, you know, his, his eyes, you know, bleeding these tears. She doesn't quite understand, but she walks over and she very gently reaches out and goes, Ayah, you don't have to cry and tries to wipe the tears from his face and hold his head down to her shoulder. If, if he wants to cry privately, he can. Jake, um, like it takes him like a while to figure out where he is, what he's done. Like he's just kind of like weeping these blood tears and like, like there's a friendly figure in front of him and he just like kind of buries his face into like her, her shoulder. And I know she probably just changed clothes again, but now they're going to be red with blood again. And slowly the camera fades to an aerial shot of this group of people standing in front of this brownstone. The next two years flies by. Soon after the events of that night, you guys are in a van driving to the city that these two are actually from, Montreal. And in the two years that you spend together, you learn quite a bit. You learn about your sect and what it is to be your kind. But you also learn that not everything is as it seemed with Felix and Paya. Your first three months when you got to Montreal were months where you fed into your beast there was times where you would go to biker clubs with hell angels hell's angels and knowing that something would be instigated in there to only have felix lose himself in violence as you all would lose yourself after instigating murdering every single person in the bar and feasting on their blood or you would go to pretend you were 
children or pretend you were young teens going to arcades or you would go and watch movies together to revel in what it was like to be alive. Or you would go do superhuman feats of strength, leaping from old buildings built in Montreal from rooftop to rooftop, all enjoying each other's presence. But then eventually that all stopped. So you all live in this large house together where you all had your own rooms, but Paya and Felix had their own. And you started noticing that there'd be times where weeks would go by and you wouldn't see Paya. You would just see Felix. And he would always seem sad or somber. And eventually you all would realize that after he would explain things, and you would, especially Linda, would understand this, where he would explain that Paya would lose herself in a sadness and that she would not want to leave the room. And it would be almost like you were each all four of you on your own with each other for times. Sometimes a couple of months you wouldn't see Felix or Paya, but then eventually Felix would call you into their room together and you would reform your baldry. How you would do it is you would walk in this room and you would see Paya lay naked on this bed oftentimes, not moving, almost catatonic in sadness. And she would feed from each of you a little bit and then you all would lose yourselves amongst each other and feed from her all at the same time. And usually after this moment of intimacy with each other, as a group, the cycle would happen again. She would be happy. She'd be out with you all. Four or five, six months may happen. And then this would happen again. In moments of clarity, she would explain how Felix was losing himself to the beast. And nothing that she could do would bring him back from this. She was trying her hardest and nothing was working. And soon you found that these periods of somber depression would overtake her longer than the periods of good that you had with her. And soon your existence became one of sorrow where that happiness and that newfound power would slowly dissipate. One evening you all woken and you felt an empty hole in your souls and in your family. And you realized as soon as all your eyes opened that they were both gone and that they probably had taken themselves from this world. And you went into their rooms and you saw a note written by them saying how they decided they could no longer live this existence and how they went onto the roof to greet the sun. As you guys both went on the roof of this house, a spot where you would often all sit and look at the stars and laugh together when you first came to Montreal, you see two piles of ashes that you know used to belong to them too. If you're enjoying Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Seas by Night Sorrow, I would highly recommend Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Seas by Night Dread, our third story arc and most often cited by listeners as their favorite. 